0: We appreciate so very much those that have come to be with us today, and I hope that what we have to consider would be very encouraging to you and edifying to you because it's a subject that is extremely relevant. You know, when we talk about the idea of God's will, John said in 1 John chapter 5 that we have confidence in him that if we ask him anything according to his will, he hears us. And that word hear there really presupposes a response. In other words, it means this. If we ask something of God, and it's according to his will, he answers us. We want to talk about this very idea that really is very relevant to everybody that lives. What is God's will? What does it actually mean? Our text is found in James chapter 4, beginning there in verse 13. And James wrote this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow... We will go to such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. You know, in this passage here, James is condemning presumptuous planning. What's that mean? presumptuous planning. The word presumptuous literally means presuming. It can also be translated as arrogant, or it can even be translated as conceit. What was the problem? What they were doing is, and what he was talking about, is people that make their plans without the following things. Two things. Making your plans in your life without understanding the uncertainty of life and taking into consideration God's divine providence you know I'll tell you when we take about the idea of God's will the question comes up is everything that happens in life God's will what about bad things what about things that are not happy and things that are not encouraging in life what about those things What about tragedy that happens in life? What about all the negative things that happen in life? Is everything that happens, both good and bad, God's will? That's the first thing we want to notice today in just a little while. And number two, we want to look at the idea, does everything really happen for a reason? You know, I've heard people say that my whole life. Something bad happens, something negative happens, whatever it might be. And sometimes even trivial things. Like a a guy that is a starting quarterback, and he gets benched for another quarterback, and he might say these words, well, everything happens for a reason. And when I look at the idea or that statement, this is what people usually mean. They mean everything happens for a reason in the greater scheme of things, in other words, in God's great divine plan. But is that what that's talking about? And does everything actually happen for a reason? we want going to talk about these things, the idea of presumptuous planning. And we look at our passage found now going back to James chapter four, and we'll take a look at verse 13. In this passage, we find that he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city. We'll spend a year there and we're going to buy and sell and we're going to make a profit. A couple of things about this. You've heard me over the years preach about godliness Right. And there's two things. It's godliness or worldliness being very general, but I'm making a division. It's godly or it's worldly. And sometimes we look at the idea because godliness is demonstrated in righteous living. So we look at the idea that worldliness is all the specific things that fall suit or fall into uh, what a sinful life might be. But have you ever stopped to consider That worldliness can also just be leaving God out of your plans. You know, the word godly there, sometimes people talk about being godly. And they say, oh, this person does a lot of great things. They're they're really godly. That's a godly man right there, a godly woman right there. But godliness, you remember, and you've heard me say this before. Godliness is not about your own personal goodness. Godliness is having a practical awareness of God in every aspect of your life. So worldliness would be not having a practical awareness of God in every aspect of your life. In all the plans that you make. So we need to be careful about that. This is somebody that leaves God out of his plans. And in the very first two words in there, when he says, come now, really he might be saying this. It's an expression that is gaining attention. In other words, it's saying this. Listen to what I'm saying. And then he says this. You who say, these three words are in the present tense. He was talking about a habitual activity. It could literally be written like this Come now, you who keep on saying. In other words, it was a way of life, it was a manner of life. A little point of interest here though, you know, James is talking about those, or referring to a Jewish merchant. Take your mind back to these days, in the time of this writing, perhaps. And there were brand new cities being built and established all throughout the Roman world. And what Jewish merchants would do is they would go to such cities and the higher ups of that city would literally say, you could have free citizenship here. You know why? Because if you're going to have a city, you got to have citizens. you got to have people. What brings people? Merchants, businesses. So what they would do is they would actually grant free citizenship immediately to any Jewish merchant that might come there and establish his business. Why? It was going to be great. It's going to bring the people. And James pictures it like this. You lay a map out, right? You lay a map out. And you decide where you're going to go. And you break down where you're going to go. Here's a problem with this kind of philosophy, though. If the plans are uncertain because of... We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The uncertainty of life or the providence of God. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1, the wise man of old said, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Notice this though. What's wrong with the plan? Great plan, right? And by the way, I'm not saying don't plan. Every aspect of life knows you got to plan. My dad used to say those things, those cliché-ish things over and over and over. And i got to tell you, a little annoying when I was growing up, but it's really true. You know, plan your work and work your plan. You know, a person never really plans to fail. He just fails to plan. You know, we've all heard that. But it's all really true. So having a plan is necessary, and that's not the problem. But look at what happens. Look at what he's describing. He's describing a Jewish merchant, for example, which is a picture of any Christian, by the way. So that means it applies to you and me, too. Watch. He said, what we're going to do is, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into a city. We're going to pick one from the map, as it were. We're going to stay there about a year. We're going to buy and sell, and we're going to make a profit. You know, this has a modern ring to it, I think. It really does. Sometimes we do this. Sometimes we make our plans like this. But do you remember when Jesus gave the parable of the rich fool? You know, there was nothing wrong with the plan. He had the right business plan. This is what happened. I'll be very brief about this. But Jesus pictures a man that was a fool. He was a rich fool. And he looked out and he saw all the crops that were coming in. He had it in abundance. But then he looked back to his barns and he said, wait a minute, the barns are already full. I got nowhere to put all my stuff. I got nowhere to put all of my crops and all of this that I have. So he says this. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull down my barns, and I'm going to build greater. Sounds great, right? And then he said this. And then I'm going to put all my stuff in it, and I'm going to sit back, and I'm going to take my ease. That's a picture of a guy that says, you know what? I got it all lined out for my retirement. I got all this money i got all this stuff. I've got all these investments. I've made all this stuff. All of a sudden, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to have my ease. Do you know what Jesus said, though? Jesus said that God said, Thou fool, this night your soul will be required of you. You know what the problem was? The problem wasn't the plan. The problem was God was nowhere in it. God was nowhere in it. Again, about godliness, it's having a practical awareness of God in every aspect of your life. So I'm saying this to everybody. If God is in the forefront of your thinking and you have that practical awareness of God in every aspect of your life, you're gonna make your decisions every single day based on that. God's number one. I was looking on YouTube on my smart TV, my office. And by the way, I have to have that. I have to have, I, have to, I have to have something in the background. With everything I do in my office, I just have to. Some people need music. i got to have something going in the background. And uh, I saw this little boy that was a, in junior rodeo. He's riding bulls. And on the back of his protective vest, it said, Make God first and don't come in second. And I thought, what an interesting, what an interesting phrase. What an interesting idea. Now, he wasn't mean. don't come in second in the rodeo. That's not what he was talking about. He means don't come in second from a spiritual perspective. I thought that was pretty neat that little guy had on his back. If God is number one in your life, everything falls into place. But when God is removed from your plans, that's when you have chaos. That's when you have trouble. This is a very modern, has a modern ring to it. So, here's a reason. Here's a reason. The very next verse. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. You know, I I don't like reading the obituaries. I don't like that. I know a lot of folks, maybe some of you, I'm not trying to step on your toes if that's you. I just always thought it was kind of odd to get up every morning and read the obituary. It's kind of a bummer you start off on a real bad, real negative day, right? All the people that died. I asked a guy one time, you've heard others say this too because it wasn't exclusive to him or didn't originate with him. I asked him, why do you read the obituaries every day? And he said, I read the obituaries to make sure I'm not in it. And then he said, and I know this, that if I'm not in the obituary, I'm going to have a good day. Have you ever stopped to consider with the concept of what is your life? Have you ever stopped to consider that the people that were in the obituaries on Friday, all the people that were listed in the obituaries on Friday, how many of them thought they'd be living today? How many people thought they would still be here? Sometimes people are taken tragically, other times they're taken after long illnesses, but suddenly things in life we find it's here and then tomorrow it's not. We have no idea. So that's the reason why you make plans and you're not guilty of presumptuous planning because you have to understand the uncertainty of life and the providence of God. James says, what's your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. In 1 Samuel 20 and verse 3, David said to Jonathan, there's only a step between me and death. Life is compared as a flower that quickly withers away in Job 14. It's represented as being short as a breath and as quickly vanishing as a cloud, Job 7. It's compared to a short shadow, Psalm 102. And the temporary nature of grass, Psalm 103 and verse 15. We have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. So we have to have God in our plans. So, here it is. What then should we say? We ought to say this according to verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Instead of saying, tomorrow we're going to go and do all this, we have to bring God in the future, in in the plan. Here's the problem. The first guy doesn't have God in his plans. The second guy has God in his plans and puts all of it in his hands. And by the way, let me just say this. Let me just say this. When you live a godly life and God is at the forefront of your thinking, you are also doing this. You are putting your life in the hands of God in both time and eternity. That's number one. And you know what? Every aspect of your life will fall into place. If you get the number one thing wrong, everything else falls apart. But if you get the number one thing right, everything falls as it should. This is a man that planned for his future. As James points out, Without God, because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. A couple of years ago, I'm going to share something with you. A couple of years ago, my oldest friend, not my best friend, good friend, but my oldest friend, I grew up with him. His name was Mark Spencer. And we junior rodeoed together when we were little. And all of a sudden, we were separate because he lived in Bakersfield and I lived in Ohio. And we were separate for our high school years. Didn't see each other. And then all of a sudden, one day, I'm a freshman at Cal Poly, and I turn the corner, and there he is. Living in the same student housing place. We picked up where we left off. Buddies. Went to the rodeos together on the rodeo team at Cal Poly and all that. Okay? So he's my oldest friend. And two years ago, at the age of 51, a healthy young man died in his bed. No reason. Natural causes. 51. You know, I used to think that 50 was old when I was in my 20s. I used to think, man, that's ancient. Man, that guy's as old as dirt. He's 50. I'm 52. I'm telling you, 50 is young. It's young. really is. Here was a young man that had no reason to be alarmed, and yet his life was taken like that. Don't you see the importance of where God needs to be in your life? Where God is in your life? What you should say is this. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. You know, I like it when somebody says, hey, what are you doing next week? Well, Lord willing, I'm going to do so-and-so. Or what about such as, that? well, yeah, Lord willing. I love that. But listen, please, and please get this point. Don't say words repetitiously with no meaning at all. In fact, what some people can do is they can take words that are great, like Lord willing, words like that, and make them vain because they say them in a shallow form or a shallow way, hollow way, with no meaning at all. Let me give you an example. Here's another phrase that's oftentimes used out there in the world. And it's used almost vain because it's just spoken without thought. It's the words praise God. I'm going to tell you right now, it's wonderful to praise God. And we praise God and honor God with our life. And we also honor him with our lips. So praising God with your lips is a wonderful thing. But when you say praise God, are you really praising God or are you just saying the words? I'll give you an example. Give, give you an example. Years ago, I was talking to a guy at a mission here in Bakersfield, and he was a preacher of some sort. And I'm not kidding you. Every, everything I said to him, he either said amen or praise God. I'd say something, praise God. Well, are you really praising God or are you just saying words? I said something, he said amen. Well, this went on about 10 minutes, and I kind of had enough. And I said, well, I got to go. I'm going to go have lunch. He said, amen. And I thought, really? Amen, lunch. Amen, lunch. Words that are spoken with no meaning become vain. So we praise God with our lips, but just saying praise God does not mean you're actually praising God. You see my point? So when you say Lord willing, or if the Lord wills, you got to mean it. Say something else about that, though. When you go to prayer and you pray if it be your will, please get this, you pray if it be your will, you have to mean that. Sometimes we might say, well, if it be your will, but we really want it to be some, another way. So understand this, when you pray if it be according to your will with that provision, you are not bending God's will toward you. You are submitting your will toward God. You're telling God, whatever you decide, I'm okay with. And We pour, our, pour out our heart with supplication. We request things of God, absolutely. But then we do like Jesus and say, if it be your will. In other words, whatever you decide, if it's your will... I will accept, I will submit to. That's what it's like to pray according to God's will. You know, Paul understood this concept in 1 Corinthians 16 and 7. He said, for I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you. And then he said, if the Lord permits. In Acts 18 and 21, it says, but took leave of them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you God willing. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 19, he said, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And finally, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. So, all that being said, it's hard to know what God's will is. I like what somebody said one time. He said, in all my life, I've come down to two facts in all the things that I've studied religiously and all the things that I have done in that way, I've come down with two facts. There is a God and I am not him. And sometimes we just don't know what's on the mind of God. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. His will is higher than our will. His ways are higher than our ways. So sometimes it's difficult to understand what God's will is. So here's the question. As I laid out in our introduction, is everything that happens in life, whether good or bad, is it all God's will? What about this? What about if one person prospers financially, does really well, has no stress financially at all, and another person doesn't? Is that God's will? What if somebody goes through a a very tragic thing that's very hurtful? Is that God's will? What if people have great losses in their life? Is that God's will? And yet over here, somebody really prospers in other ways too. So here's the question. Is everything that happens God's will? Here's my answer. Yes. Now, I'm going to clarify it so you don't think I went off the reservation. Everything that happens in life is God's will, but not in the same sense. In fact, God imparts his will or expresses his will in three ways. Stay with me on this. Number one, there's God's determined will. When you talk about God's determined will, you're saying this. God desired it, God caused it, and God made it happen. Okay, God's determined will. He caused caused it, he desired it, he caused it, and he made it happen. Okay, here's some examples, by the way. Creation. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When he created man, he formed man out of the dust of the earth. And then in all the things that he created, he said, let there be this, and there was this, let there be that, and there was that. He literally spoke it into existence. When he looked down upon man and he said, he shouldn't be alone. I'll make a helper from his rib. He made the woman. Again, all of this is God's determined will. When man fell in the garden, by the way, when man fell in the garden, the plan was already in place. Oh, God wasn't fooled. The Bible says known unto God are all his works, even from the beginning. The scheme of redemption was already in place the old law of Moses would be brought in to bring man back to God as a schoolmaster or a tutor. But Colossians says in chapter 2 that Jesus would nail the old law to his cross when he died for the sins of the world. Guess what all that was? In the redemptive plan of God, that was God's determined will. And in that, he desired it, he caused it, he made it happen. You know, when we look at... The Lord's mission. Jesus spoke of his mission as being the will of God. In John 4 and 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In John chapter 5 and verse 30, I can do of myself nothing. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. So, This was God's determined will. And one final thing, and I love this because it's great benefit to us. I don't know if anybody here under the sound of my voice is of Jewish descent. I have no idea. Maybe there is. I don't know. But there was a time when the the Jews were God's people and God dealt with the nation. Do you know what God's plan was? God's will was? God's determined will? That when Jesus would die on the cross, according to Ephesians 3, that Jew and Gentile, that's me, I'm a Gentile, probably you too, Jew and Gentile alike would be together in one body, and that's the church. God's determined will. He desired it, he caused it, and he made it happen. But then there's this one, though. There is, it's always accomplished, there's God's desired or preferred will and this is when God desires it, but he does not cause it. He does not cause it. And the reason for that is he leaves it up to man to determine whether or not it's going to happen. I'm going to get to that example in just a minute, okay? But I want to get back to the idea. I want to get back to the question, is everything, God, is everything that happens for a reason, okay? Several years ago, as a high school a JV high school head football coach. I had an offensive line coach that was coaching on my staff. This man was six foot four, about 280 pounds. I gave him a specific task to do to coach his line and do his job. I am rule number two and I was a huge stickler about this. Okay, huge. Don't ever as an assistant coach talk to a referee, ever. Referees would come up to me and say, hey, tell all your assistants they're better seen and not heard. Tell your assistants, have them hold a clipboard and keep their mouth shut. I never yelled at refs, by the way, ever. doesn't help. Yell at a ref for a bad call. You know what's going to happen? He's human. You'll probably get another bad call. Okay? So I was a real stickler about that. This guy would lose his mind and scream at the refs. And finally, the ref one time said in one game, a home game, he said, I'm going to tell you right now, if you open your mouth one more time, I'm throwing your head coach out of the game." So we had to have a little sit down, me and this guy. So we did. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I-, I won't do it again. About a week later, it happened again. And so I'm grinding through the season with this guy and finally we get down to the last game and I don't even wanna to talk to him. And we got through the game and uh, season was over and on Monday morning I called him up on the phone. You know what he thought? This how delusional he was. He thought I got a promotion to the varsity as a head coach, and he thought that I wanted to meet with him because I was taking him with me to the varsity to coach the line. Oh, no, we had a different meeting. He's sitting there, and I said, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, thank you for your service here, but we are going in another direction. You know what happened? He started crying, seriously crying. And he said this, oh, I guess just everything happens for a reason I guess God has a plan. Maybe someday he'll reveal to me what his plan is. And I said, wait a minute. You don't have to worry about God. You don't have to wait for God. I got the answer right here. I got it right here. Sometimes things, oh, there's a reason. But it's not a divine reason. It's not God's big plan. Sometimes it's just the ramifications of our own choices. Talk about God's preferred will. Examples are man's salvation you ever stopped to consider that God wants everybody to go to heaven? Everybody. Think of all the bad people that have lived in life. God wanted them to repent too. God sent Jesus Christ to die for the sins of the world because he wants everybody to go to heaven. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what does God desire? What does He prefer? He prefers that everybody would repent and come to Jesus. But not everybody does, do they? Matthew 7 and 21, here's the words of the master. Here's the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my father, which is in heaven. What does God want? He wants everybody to go to heaven. He desires it, but he does not cause it because he leaves it up to you and me to decide. Got to do our part. That's God's permissive will. And by the way, when this happens, it's not always accomplished. The first one is always accomplished. The first one's always accomplished. Thirdly, though, there's God's permissive will. And this is things that God allows or permits. He doesn't desire it. He doesn't purpose it. He neither desires or purposes it, but he allows man in his freedom to bring it to pass. God's permissive will. Let me just talk about some things that fall into this category. Sicknesses also fall into the category Disasters, economic setbacks. It's the same thing, by the way, as what James is talking about when you say, if the Lord wills. When you say that, you're saying, if the Lord permits. In other words, here's my plan. I'm going to do this if the Lord permits. Things that he permits or allows. But I got to tell you, sometimes things happen, folks, that God does not plan for. That God does not do but it happens and as long as we live in the flesh and as long as we live in a place where there's sin there's going to be things that happen that are very unpleasant there's going to be things that oftentimes happen in life that are unpleasant and god imparts his will in three ways his determined will it always happens his preferred will he wants it but leaves it up to man to decide and god's permissive will things he allows Somebody might say, well, why did God allow it? Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not ask the question why. It is the oft-asked theological debate of why. Don't do that. Let me tell you what a person of faith really will do. A person of faith, okay, won't ask why. I'm going to say it again. A person of faith won't ask why. Why? A person of faith will say, I don't understand. But a person of faith will submit everything about his will to God. And be okay with what he can't know. That's a person of faith. You got to be okay with what you can't know. One scholar said one time, one of the greatest proofs of worldliness in a man's life is when he fails to include God in his daily activities. That's really the whole point. Where is God in your life? Here's my last and final point, And it's a question that I know has gone through your mind. Everybody, this goes through everybody's mind. Last question, last point. Why do bad things happen to us? Why do bad things happen to good people? This is not about me. It's not my, I'm just going to use an example. When, when I went to the doctor and I was diagnosed with stage three throat cancer, I remember that the doctor said, Tina and I were sitting there, and the doctor said, what's a nice guy like you doing in a place like this? And in his way, in his mind, he was meaning this. That's unfair. But it really has nothing to do with me in that regard. Why do bad things happen? Bad things happen in life for three reasons. Personal choice, somebody else's choice, and that which just falls under natural law. And by the way, this is because sin is in the world, okay? Here it is, very briefly, personal choice. My choice, my act, my fault, okay? I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the world says. I don't care when somebody says it's not your fault. Listen, if it's my choice, my act, it's my fault. So we don't have a problem with that, right? We get that. What about this? What about somebody else's choice, somebody else's act, somebody else's fault? Over 10 years ago, I was holding a meeting in Kentucky, Walnut Grove, Kentucky. And there was a young, was a young mother, and she worked at the bank. Everybody loved her. I remember that because it was all in the papers. and It's what people talked about when I got there. And one day she left the bank and she was just driving home to her husband and kids. She's driving right along. And there was a drunk driver coming in the opposite direction, crossed over the road, went head on. And she died instantly at the scene. And he walked away without a scratch. Was it her fault? Nope. It was somebody else's choice. It was somebody else's act. It was somebody else's sin. It was somebody else's fault. But sometimes we have the ramifications of others' choices too. Third reason. Things that are governed by natural law. And this includes all free will acts of man. That includes all the free will acts. God does not take away free will. God could have done anything that he wanted to do. God could have made me do anything he wanted me to do. But that's not what he did. He put everything into place and he gave me free will. He gave you free will. That's what he wants. Don't you see that's what this whole thing is about? He gave you free will, but he wants you to submit to God's will. So here's really the question. I don't know what's going on in your life. I have no idea what your plans are. I have no idea what you're doing later on today or next week or next month or next year. Whatever your plans are, let me ask you a question. In all of your plans, where's God? is God number one in your life. Because you know what's going to happen one day? Just like my 51-year-old healthy friend. he won't be here. Or the Lord just comes back. So the only thing that matters is the condition of your soul while you live in this life. And nothing else will matter. If you're not a child of God, you need to be one today. The Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. After you hear the word of God, Jesus said you have a choice. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. In Luke 13 and 3, Jesus also said, I tell you no, but except you repent, you will all likewise perish. You got to change your life. Jesus said in Matthew 10.32, If you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. Acts chapter 8 says what the confession is. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But all of those things are pointing toward the point of salvation. It's when you go down to the watery grave of baptism that you contact the blood of Jesus and rise to walk in newness of life. 1 Peter 3.21 says, The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m., and 5 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.